probably have some favorite songs that inspire your worship. But you might not know the stories behind those songs, which are often just as inspiring. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah sheds light on some well-known songs of the faith and their stories as he continues his series on worship, My Heart's Desire. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Song Continues. You know, the discussion and and discovery of what's behind a hymn or a worship song is, is quite a journey. I remember the first time I heard the story behind Carol Cymbal's song that she wrote called He's Been Faithful. And what that meant to me, and I never have listened to that song the same way after I heard uh, uh, the anguish that she went through before writing it. And it's been true for so many songs that you and I know and listen to and, and uh, repeat often. If you want to really be blessed by the songs that you sing, find out why they were written, and it will just take you to a whole new level of worship and praise. Uh, today, we're going to talk about what uh, the New Testament is teaching us about worship. We're in Ephesians and Colossians and some other passages as well. We're continuing our kind of uh, historical theological study of worship, which began in the Old Testament and goes all the way through, as you know, to the book of Revelation. Before we get into the lesson today, let me remind you uh, that our resource for the month of September is the calendar Moving Mountains. It's a 14-month calendar that begins in November of this year and uh, takes you all the way through the new year. There's a place for each day for you to write your appointments and special events. And there are there are special holidays noted on this calendar. Um, there's a Bible reading plan for the new year that's integrated into the calendar. There's beautiful, beautiful photography of mountains. If you're a person who loves mountains as I do, I mean, I'm so blessed because I live in San Diego and I get to enjoy the ocean and the mountains both. And uh, God's creative work is part of the motivation that is here for us to worship him. A lot of worship happened on a mountain. And we want you to have this calendar as our way of saying thank you for your investment in Turning Point during the month of September. Your encouraging investment makes it possible for us to continue sharing the word of God around the world. So thank you, and please ask for your calendar when you send your gift. Okay, let's get started with today's lesson. Ira Sankey was experiencing on one occasion one of the great moments that they had reminisced about when F.B. Meyer came to see him. He and D.L. Moody were participating in a crusade and they had set aside one night in the crusade to emphasize the shepherding work of the Lord. That particular night, not only was Moody preaching, but Horatius Bonar was preaching as well. Bonar preached first, then Moody preached. They both preached on the shepherd, the Lord God, who is our shepherd. When Moody got done preaching, he turned to Ira Sankey, his soloist, and he said, do you have a solo appropriate for the ending of the service? Well, Sankey did not have anything that he knew, but he had taken a long train ride across the country to be a part of that crusade. And on the way, he had been reading something, and he found in his reading a poem written by Elizabeth Clefane. And he had that poem in his Bible. So he sort of nodded to Moody, yes, I have a song. And he put that poem up on the piano, and he composed and sang for the very first time a song 
which has never changed one note from that day to this, and it's one of the most beautiful gospel songs you have ever heard. It goes like this. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care, away from the tender shepherd's care. Later, Sankey said when he got done writing the first verse and singing it for the first time in front of that whole crowd, he realized there were two more verses, and now he said, how will I ever sing the same tune exactly the way I sang it the first time? And he said, the first time I prayed for the Lord to give me inspiration to write the tune, and the second time I prayed for the Lord to give me memory to sing it the same way two times more. And he said later, from that day until this, not one note was changed in the melody that has become part of our hymn treasury. And when he finished singing that song that night, such a hush came over that crowd that when D.L. Moody gave the invitation, the altar was jammed. And Moody said it wasn't the preaching. It was the ministry of that brother at the piano who gave us one of our favorite gospel songs. Isn't it amazing how God has given to us the melodies and the music which we treasure and love so much. Well, singing is the result of being filled with the Spirit of God and being indwelt by the Word of God. But let me suggest to you thirdly that singing is a reciprocal experience. Notice in Ephesians 5 and again in Colossians 3 that our singing is to ourselves. Isn't that strange? I thought we were supposed to worship God. No, the Bible says we worship God ultimately, but we sing to ourselves. Colossians 3 says to one another. We sing to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual singing. Do you know that during the Middle Ages, the church people were not allowed to sing? I can imagine what it would be like to be in church and not be able to sing. But there was a church council that convened, and their reasoning was, if the individual believer does not have the ability nor the privilege of personal interpretation of the scripture, neither should he be allowed to sing the songs of the church. And so there were little groups within each church that did whatever music was done, but the average person in the pew could not sing at all until a man by the name of Martin Luther came along. Martin Luther fixed a lot of things, didn't he? He came along and he said, not only are we going to read the scriptures, but we're going to sing praise to God. In fact, in one of his writings, he said that if the church is ever going to know the joy that it's supposed to have, it needed to fix both of those problems. And here's a quote from Martin Luther. Let God speak directly to his people through the scriptures and let his people respond with grateful songs of praise. And Luther went on to write 37 hymns to help us do that. And we're still singing many of them today. The thing that I find about this is that the focus in the New Testament is on the priesthood of the believer. Listen to me carefully. If you had lived during Old Testament times, you would not have been able to offer up praise to God individually as we do today in our quiet private time. You could worship God in your own spiritual way, but not like we do today. The spiritual worship in the Old Testament was offered to the Lord through the priests and the Levites who were specialists in worship. But when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and opened up the way for us into the Holy of Holies, We became like the Old Testament priests, but every single believer is a priest. I'm a priest. All of us in Christ are priests. All the women are priests. All the men are priests. If we're in Christ, we have individual, personal responsibility and authority before God. 
Now, let me give you a verse of scripture that ties all that together. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen to what it says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's us. We're the holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 13, 15 says one of the spiritual sacrifices is the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. Listen to me. You and every one of us here today who are believers have instant access before God and we are responsible as his priests to offer up worship to him in singing and praise as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Once again, we're back to that point of how can you not be a participant because you're a priest and God is counting on you to offer your spiritual sacrifice unto him. I notice fourthly in these verses that singing is a response from the heart. It says here in Colossians 3, singing with grace in your hearts. In Ephesians 5, singing in your hearts. It's interesting as you study the Bible that I can't find any place, maybe the experts in music will show me a place later, but I can't find any place in the Bible where it tells you exactly how to sing. There's no passages in the Bible that I'm aware of that talk about how you sustain tones, how you get good support from the diaphragm, how you sing and all. There's no place there to tell you to do that. We've had to learn that on our own. But there are many passages in the scripture that tell us what ought to be going on in our hearts while we're singing. Because remember now, spiritual worship is not so much a state of the art as it is a state of the heart. Worshiping God from your heart, says the scripture. There's a story told about a leper who was isolated in a colony and was held captive by disease and by society. And though there were very few on earth that even knew about this poor girl and cared about her, there was a missionary who came in the providence of God and shared Christ with this young lady and she became a Christian. And God put a song in her heart. But by this time, the disease had begun to ravage her body and it basically had eaten away all of the mechanism that was necessary to sing. There is some film footage of this young leprous girl clutching the scripts of music in her hand and singing to the Lord with a sound that is almost reprehensible as it squeaks out of the brokenness of her body. But I dare say to you men and women, it must have been some of the most beautiful music heaven ever heard because it came from her heart. God wants to know how the music is being played through the strings of our heart unto him. And for some of you who feel like you were shortchanged when it comes to the vocal cords, let me just encourage you. Sing from your heart to the Lord, with all of your heart to the Lord, and let God be honored and glorified through your music. It is God who looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance, and we can sing to the Lord from the heart. Let me add fifthly from these verses that singing New Testament style is a richly diverse experience. Did you notice what it said? Singing to the Lord in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, this is very important for all of us here today because one of the great controversies in the church is over what style of music we are to use in worshiping the Lord. 
And here we discover in the very earliest days of New Testament times that there wasn't any one particular style, but that there was great diversity among God's people. They sang some psalms, they sang some hymns, and they sang some spiritual songs. The true worshiping congregation will have a variety of music styles which blend together as a great chorus of worship to God. Now the Psalms, which Paul mentions in Ephesians and Colossians, were the Old Testament songs of Israel, probably many of them from the book of Psalms as we know it today and other portions of the scripture where the Old Testament songs were incorporated. Jesus and his disciples used the Psalms at the Feast of Tabernacles and at the Passover Supper in the early parts of the New Testament we read of this. The Psalms were very majestic and very beautiful presentations of Old Testament texts set to music. And as someone has said today, the Psalms remain with us in music as the classics of music for all of us to enjoy. We will never, ever want to be rid of the Psalms that we sing. These are the Old Testament scriptures set to music. And many of the greatest composers of our lifetime and of the lifetime before us have taken those Psalm passages and richly endowed them with music that is being used to bring honor and glory and praise to the Lord today. The Psalms. But we're also to praise the Lord with hymns. For the first century Christians, hymns were newer religious expressions, expressions that talked about the teachings of Christ. They taught New Testament doctrines and they were applied to the Christian life and faith. There are many people who believe that in the New Testament itself we have a number of hymns that are included. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is probably a hymn that was included by Paul when he wrote this letter to the Philippians where he talks about how Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. He came down to this earth and was obedient to the death of the cross. Many people believe that Revelation 4:11 was a previously circulated hymn that John incorporated into that book. So there are hymns in the New Testament, but most of the hymns with which we have familiarity are hymns which have been written since New Testament times. I mentioned earlier in this series the blind Fanny Crosby, who has written so many of our hymns. She became blind and knew she was blind on her sixth birthday, yet she never allowed her blindness to keep her from doing what she believed God had called her to do. And it's interesting when we know the circumstances of her life to reflect upon the hymns that she wrote. For instance, she was so overwhelmed with the greatness of God one day that she wrote, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And one of her most popular hymns, she wrote, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of heaven divine. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Fanny Crosby wrote that, and do you know what? She wrote 8,000 hymns and songs in her lifetime. In one of the biographies I read of her life, she said that it was quite common for her to have five or six songs circulating around in her mind at the same time, trying to sort out the words and the melody and keep them separate. I can't imagine it. But you'd have to have that going on if you wrote 8,000 songs in one lifetime. What a gifted woman she was and what a heritage she has left us. There's another hymn writer whose name is not as familiar to us. His name is Edward Peronet. He came to Christ through the ministry of John Wesley. And he grew very rapidly in his faith 
And he saw Jesus as the king of the universe, and he got so excited about it because of his personal walk with the Lord that he sat down one day and wrote, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And John Newton almost lost his life in a terrible storm off the coast of northwest Ireland. He cried to God for mercy and help, and God met him at the point of his need. He was so excited as he reflected upon the grace and mercy of the Lord that John Newton sat down and penned these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. No wonder some modern poet wrote, There's something about a fine old hymn that can stir the heart of a man that can reach to the goal of his inmost soul such as no mere preaching can. It's more than the tune of the song he sings and it's more than the poet's rhyme. It's the Spirit of God working through those things that gives them their power sublime. So we thank thee, Lord, for the fine old hymns and we use them again and again as we seek to save from a hopeless grave the souls of our fellow men. We're to praise God with psalms and with hymns and spiritual songs. Now, the spiritual songs is the category that usually creates most of the controversy. Literally, the word spiritual songs is translated from the New Testament language by the term ode to a breath. <laughs> That's what it means. It's kind of something that spontaneously explodes out of one's spirit. I have an idea that the New Testament worship services were much more informal and free-flowing than ours are today, even if you think we have a very spontaneous service. I am confronted with that truth as I read the book of 1 Corinthians and I hear what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He says, one of you has a song and one of you has a psalm and one of you has a prophecy. And he's saying, let's kind of do this a little more decently and in order. I have a feeling that if you'd gone to a New Testament worship service, that somebody might have just stood right up in the middle of the service and started singing a solo. And when they got done, someone up would get up and read some scripture. Far more diverse than what we have today. But this whole idea of a spiritual song takes into its arms not only many of the gospel songs that have been written over the years, but it encompasses all of the more beautiful worship music and praise music that has become our heritage in our generation. All I'm trying to say is that every generation of God's people has had its own music. You and I happen to have been born into the generation in which worship and praise music has been the avenue that we have used so marvelously to praise our God in heaven. Thank the Lord for this opportunity we have to take all of these beautiful scripture texts and worship melodies and bring them to the Lord in praise and along with them to incorporate the great old hymns like How Great Thou Art and all of the other music and just bring it to the Lord. The key issue here is this. God's people worship him through the use of a many varied instrument of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And some of you like the psalms better, and some of you like the spiritual hymns better, and some of you like the worship choruses better. But what happens to us as a body of Christ is we come together and we all minister to one another, and together we minister to the Lord. And that brings me to the last point. And that is that our singing is reverence to the Lord. Do you see what it says? Singing in your heart to the Lord. 
I don't have to belabor that. We've seen that in every single message. I can't get away from it. That worship, though it may minister to those who are worshiping together, has as its ultimate goal to be presented to the Lord. And we are in his presence when we worship him today. William Cooper, who lived from 1731 to 1800, was only six years old when his heart was broken by the death of his mother because his father couldn't take care of him. William Cooper was sent to a boarding school, and there he was to face more suffering because he was one of the youngest boys in the boarding school, and the older boys just determined to make life miserable for him. They bullied him and beat on him until he was just in despair of his own life. On several occasions as a young boy, he attempted suicide. After he got out of the boarding school, he was involved in two love relationships which both failed. And he began to live his life with a total sense of inferiority and emptiness. He became so seriously ill mentally that he was placed in an asylum. And it was there in that asylum that William Cooper met God. A relative visited him one day and shared with him from the scriptures the verse from Romans chapter 3, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. That relative opened the scripture and began to present to William Cooper the plan of salvation, how that Christ had come and died on the cross and shed his blood that we all might be forgiven and set free. And William Cooper that day discovered what it meant to be a Christian. Later he wrote, it was the first time in my life that I had seen a ray of hope. There fell upon me that day the full beam of the sufficiency of atonement that Christ had made my pardon in his blood, the fullness of completeness in my justification. And in a moment, he said, I believed and I received the gospel. And while he was still in the asylum, he took a piece of paper one day and wrote these words. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Cooper had been a sinner who needed a savior and when Jesus found him, a melody replaced his misery and music transported his worship to the throne of God. His depression was transformed into a sense of personal dignity and he gave us one of the great hymns of the faith with which we have continued to praise our Lord. And I want to say to you that God is still in the business of that kind of transforming work. He likes to take that miserable heart and Pull it out of a person and replace that heart with the person of Jesus Christ. Take away the depression and the inferiority complex and all that goes with being in despair and give a person a new song in his heart and life. Put a melody in his heart. Make it possible for him to sing unto the Lord because the Holy Spirit has come to live within him. If you don't have that song in your heart, if you can't sing with the Spirit because you're indwelt by the Word of God, if you can't sing from your heart in spite of the circumstances, then you need Christ. And my greatest privilege and joy as a pastor is to extend to you the opportunity to know Him, whom to know is life eternal. Amen. Amen. Well, we're about halfway through this series on worship, and uh, if you haven't heard me already, um, let me repeat that this is based upon a book that I wrote called My Heart's Desire. 
And while this book is not our resource for the month, it is available to you if you'll go to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. There you will see the book and the study guide and the CD package that goes with it. You can order all of this into your own home, have it available to you for your personal study and for your group study. And uh, I think it will be a blessing to you. I promise you, if you do a home group on uh, worship, you will have many vital discussions. Hopefully, um, that will lead you to a greater sense of the true and precious joy that is ours to worship our great God. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about worship at home and on the road. I hope you'll be with us for the Friday edition of Turning Point, and I pray that God will use these teachings to draw you closer to the one who loved you so much that he gave his son to be your savior. You can worship, and we all can worship in a way that brings glory to his name and joy to our hearts. See you next time. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by writing to us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098 Delta BC, V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, and spend each day encouraged. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. The late Reverend John Stott, an evangelical Anglican theologian and author, was known for making complex theology easy to understand. Regarding the challenge of being a Christian in the modern era, he said, 
It's not too difficult to be relevant if you don't care about being faithful. And it's not too difficult to be faithful if you don't care about being relevant. If you have to choose between being faithful and relevant, we must always choose faithfulness. But thankfully, being faithful to truth is exactly what the world needs. Forgiveness and hope are faithful messages from the Bible, and that makes Christians relevant indeed. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's relevance and faithfulness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.